Welcome to the Farcast, coming to you every week with insiders and experts to give you insight into the changing economic world. And now, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week on the Farcast Season 3 here from Washington, D.C., October the 30th. And I don't normally tell you exactly which day we're recording so that it feels a little bit newer out there. I hate to pin us down that way. But October 30th is my father's 94th birthday, uh, which is a great treat to have your father as long. I am 58 years old, and to have your dad around when you're 58 is a great blessing. Uh, we're going to go out with my sisters. My mother passed away a couple of years ago. We're going to go out with my sisters and uh, brothers-in-law, nieces and nephews, and our children and Laurie tonight. Uh, great celebration uh, for Dad here in Washington. And he gets very excited about his birthday, by the way. He, he started uh, asking, oh, a couple of weeks ago. He does this thing where he says, you know, I, we don't have to do anything for my birthday. And that he starts saying that in about August. Uh, uh, we, we don't have to do anything for my birth. And, and, and in September, he starts talking again more about really what he doesn't want to have happen on his birthday. And about two weeks out, he tells everybody not to get him a gift. Not He doesn't need a thing and not to get him a gift. Uh, it's really brilliant. Uh, it, it, uh, he, he gets everybody's attention, and we will, we will all, all be there. Uh, he's doing very well, by the way. My dad's doing very well. Um, I, went, uh, I actually saw... Uh, went over to uh, his house over the summer, couldn't find him, and I was yelling for him, and he's very hard of hearing. But you still get scared when you, when you can't find the 93-year-old mm -hmm. in the house, and you think, okay, I'm going to turn the next corner. He's going to be on the floor. I turned the next corner, and I looked out the plate glass window, and there he was on the ladder washing the windows. <laughs> I walked out into the 90-degree heat, and there he is up on the ladder. I said, what in the hell are you doing? And he looked at me like I'd lost my mind. He goes, what, wh I'm, I'm washing windows. <laughs> I mean, what are you, stupid? I'm on a ladder. I've got the Windex. I've got the paper towel. I'm washing windows. Oh, boy. I said, you know, at least get a taller ladder so that when you fall, it'll kill you because, <laughs> I mean, this is just, you know, this is going to be miserable. Um, it's mostly about me, as you can tell. Uh, anyway, he's, uh, dad's, dad's doing well. We'll celebrate tonight. Um, Farcast, let's get back to the Farcast. Uh, uh, and uh, remember that on the Farcast, we believe that money's hard to make, so we, we want you to be careful with it. And we think that old-fashioned old research, hard work, discipline, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And remember that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. I'm quoted in the Wall Street Journal today, uh, and the, the question uh, basically was uh, from the reporter at the Journal, you know, Mr. Farr, there's a whole lot of cash on the sidelines now. Lots of cash. People are not investing as they were. There seems to be a turn in bullish sentiment. How do you feel about all of that cash? And I said, well, it, it, it makes me feel a bit safer, uh, which surprised this reporter. Uh, but as long as there's a lot of cash around, there's a lot of money that can still come into the market. Uh, if there's fear around, uh, it means that some people have already sold. In my experience, and certainly uh, in the writings of most long-term investors, when you see uh, everybody standing on the same side of the boat, that's the time when the boat sinks, right? 
Uh, Dan uh, has talked to us about that before, I think. Um, so uh, when everybody's bullish and everybody's telling you that the market can only go up, negative surprises really spook people. They, they hit them with the unexpected. As long as you have people uh, worried, and the old market adage is that markets climb walls of worry, there's still a good wall of worry. And there's still more cash to come in uh, at some point. He, he asked if I was bullish, uh, that I sounded bullish. I said, I don't know that I'm necessarily bullish. I think the market is much more fragile than it has been in a, in a while. Um, interest rates are very low. Unemployment is very low. The consumer has, remain, has remained robust in a world where little else has remained robust. Uh, and earnings growth is slowing. It's slowing uh, uh, in, in a material way, but it's, it's slowing versus some pretty fabulous earnings a year ago that were boosted by significant tax cuts and spending programs. Third quarter GDP came out up 1.9%. That was versus 1.6% expected. So you're near 2% GDP growth. My theme for the past couple of months is this is not awful. This is okay. And uh, unlike your health care, in the economy, okay is indeed okay. Uh, yes, there are a lot of things that can go wrong. Uh, he said, well, wh what, do you think about, uh, what do you think about what's going on uh, with China? I mean, it seems like we're making progress uh, in the China trade talks. Uh, and I uttered an expletive, which I will not <laughs> utter on the forecast. I, I hope uh, that wasn't printed in the journal this morning. We, I haven't actually <laughs> seen the printed <laughs> copy of the journal, Harry's. But it, it is owned by Rupert Murdoch, so so perhaps. Well, it might be actually because <laughs> I and and the particular expletive uh, uttered suggested that I thought that um, uh, that that the progress in the trade talks was uh, poppycock, uh, poppycock. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, no, I don't, I don't, you Ho know. Horse feathers. Horse feathers, yes. <laughs> yes, Dan Mahaffey, horse feathers. Y you know, um, w they're buying soybeans from us. We haven't made any progress on what, on any protection for any of our intellectual property, uh, on, on, on uh, any of our technology, uh, property rights, patents, copyrights, none of it. None of it. So the real stuff where they're screwing us is, is, is still screwing us. Um, now, their economy continues to shrink. Their, or the growth of their economy continues to shrink. A lot of reports say that the Chinese economy is suffering. Uh, will it, is, is it suffering more than our economy? It seems to be suffering more than our economy. Um, do the Chinese care? Will they just wait it out? Dan Mahaffey, who has a good deal of expertise on China, has told us for well over a year that the Chinese, if they are good at anything at all, are good at waiting. Um, and uh, we have a president uh, who doesn't seem to be good at, at, at waiting. Do you know there's that, I'd love to know the test. You know the marshmallow test that they do with yeah. little children and how predictive it is? They, it, this is a very predictive test. And they take, is it two-year-olds or four-year-olds? I can't remember. Four-year-olds? I think it's at that age. I mean, the two, you know, you're still too. Yeah, so maybe they take four-year-olds. They put them on a, they put a marshmallow in front of them, and they say, uh, don't eat the marshmallow uh, for five minutes. 
uh, five minutes, I think it is, uh, you have to wait. And don't eat the marshmallow, and, if we, and we're going to leave you alone. And when we come back in five minutes, you can eat the marshmallow if you want, want. But if you don't, we'll give you another marshmallow in five minutes. Uh, fascinating study, and they video these kids. And it's, it's so fun to watch these kids squirm. Uh, to bend over and smell the marshmallow, <laughs> to touch and poke the marshmallow. And those who eat the marshmallow and don't wait typically don't have the same level of success academically uh, in, in life, uh, don't have the same sort of financial rewards, economic rewards, and so forth. That, that ability to be patient and have some delayed gratification apparently is a very useful life tool in navigating the world as, as, as we know it. I, I can't imagine, I, I, you know, how the president would have done at age four, but frankly, I'm not sure how he would do right now. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think much of our entire political class would do well right. at the marshmallow test. Right. Um, there's, a, there's a bipartisan failure at the marshmallow <laughs> test. <laughs> A bipartisan failure on the marshmallow test. Yeah, I, I, thi I think that that's right. Maybe, you know, that would be fascinating to find out that those kids who failed the marshmallow test at age four actually went on to become politicians. <laughs> I, I, I bet it's, I bet there's... A and PG&E executives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, PG&E and e executives have, some, have uh, some serious issues they're dealing with. God bless those people in California. Uh, by the way, God bless the Nats. Uh, fabulous. Uh, Nats. Uh, one, they can't win at home, but apparently they like Houston. They like the warmer weather. Uh, the World Series is tied up. Uh, so this is wonderful. Tonight after Dad's birthday dinner, I get to go home and watch the Nats win the World Series in Houston. That is going to be awesome. Futures this morning coming into markets are flat. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up over 27,000. Ladies and gentlemen, if the rule is to buy low and sell high, this is not low by anybody's definition. So be very, very careful with your investing. We will stay invested at Farm Miller in Washington. It's, it's what we believe in. We don't think you can time markets. But uh, things, uh, you know, I told this uh, uh, reporter also at the Wall Street Journal that our cash levels at Farm Miller in Washington right now are about twice what they normally are. And we don't make cash decisions tactically, meaning we don't look around and say, gee, we think the market's expensive or we think the economy's weakening or any of those big macro things and say, so therefore we're going to raise cash. We don't do any of that. Never have. What we do is we have a discipline for buying stocks and for selling stocks. And in expensive markets, our sell discipline and our sell rules get triggered and tell us that we have to sell because they violate it is just too damned expensive or there we have four rules by which we sell but one of them is is price we sell when it says sell we sell you have to follow your discipline you have to be dispassionate you can't be emotional remember my old-fashioned research hard work and discipline discipline is the key then you look to buy and if the rules aren't met you don't buy and that's why that cash has been building up, because we can't find things to buy. Also talk to friends uh, at another money management uh, company here in town. Uh, uh, they have the highest level cash that they've had uh, mostly in the history of their firm, almost 25% of their portfolio in cash. They said they've been this point probably three or four times over the past 50 years. Last time was 2007. So these are not positive harbingers of cash buildup 
uh, as the Wall Street Journal reporter asked me. But uh, I think you have to stick with your discipline, and maybe things will uh, change. But the this economy is riding on the back of the consumer. As long as the consumer keeps spending and stays positive, I think it will continue to be okay. And certainly, you have a Federal Reserve. We're going to find out what Jay Powell does uh, later today at the Federal Reserve. We expect a quarter of a point cut. Uh, what I the key will be Jay Powell's message, what he says to investors um, about the future. He's been very clear that they are not on a new easing path, that this is simply a mid-cycle adjustment, and that I, I expect him to say they're going to wait uh, and go to the sidelines. Steve Leisman from CNBC has been broadcasting that message from several Fed governors. The Fed moves to the sidelines. Markets might not like that. I know that the president won't like that. Uh, but here we come into the fall. 1.9% GDP is not bad. So looking ahead here now uh, for the rest of the year, we're coming back to say exactly, I think, a lot of what we've been saying in the past few weeks. Things are okay. Things are not great. Okay is okay. And when you think of GDP, uh, gross domestic product, as it's rising, it is that tide that gently lifts all boats. Uh, it's continuing to rise, albeit slowly. And given uh, that in 2009, the nadir for stocks was around 6,600, and we are now more than 20,000 points higher on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, modest growth from these levels doesn't strike me uh, as, as at all bad. We're going to be right back for segment two of the forecast with our great friend and analyst, and you've already heard he's here in studio, uh, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, our senior political analyst for the forecast, going to explain what else is going on in Washington with the Democrats, with the impeachment issues, uh, and maybe even if we're lucky, we'll get him to talk about Brexit. When we come back on the forecast, please stay with us. This week, we have a special twofer forecast for you. This afternoon, we'll hear from the Fed, so tomorrow, we're going to release a special post-Fed meeting reaction show. If you want a snapshot of the markets before the opening bell tomorrow, remember you can always listen to the forecast three-minute morning brief. Uploaded every morning, the U.S. markets are open. It's a great way to start your day with a summary of markets, headlines, futures, and commodities. Available on Radio Public, Apple Podcast, and all major podcast platforms. And now, back to Michael Farr and the Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast, and now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us on the Farcast. I am Michael Farr here in our uh, spectacular studio in Washington, D.C., looking at, uh, you know, the uh, glass-enclosed nerve center here at Farr Miller in Washington. We have a fabulous view of, of a uh, rather uh, enclosed parking lot. Uh, <laughs> we get to see the garbage trucks. You probably get to hear them as they roll in and out and beep. And Anyway, it's, it's a fairly awful view. Uh, now, uh, but, you know, turn my attention over to Dan Mahaffey, the handsome, the debonair Dan Mahaffey, the brilliant Dan Mahaffey, our senior political analyst on the Farcast. Uh, welcome back there, brilliant, handsome, and debonair. Well, you keep having me on here. I need to have that little person uh, behind me saying, remember, thou art mortal. You keep uh, <laughs> you know, blowing up my ego here. But it's always good to be here, Michael. And 
Uh, thank you for having me. We, we are glad you're here. And you know our, our, our listeners benefit so much from your insights, uh, Dan. Dan is an insider, of course, on Capitol Hill with one of those Washington think tanks. Spent time in China, did uh, studied uh, uh, security uh, analysis, and not from the stock security side, by the way, the real uh, important kind of keeping you safe security. Uh, lived in Shanghai for a while, studied in China, uh, is, is really has a great deal of expertise to cover all that we're covering today. So Dan, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman yes. uh, testified that maybe, I thought it was a transcript of the president's phone call, that the transcript wasn't a transcript, and that confused me because I thought a transcript meant that you write down every word. No, correct. Well, what we w saw released by the White House over that controversial Ukraine call was uh, better described as a memorandum of conversation, not a verbatim transcript, but a, uh, a general accounting of the remarks uh, on either side. And, and what was particularly interesting about uh, uh, Colonel Vindman's testimony, one, uh, you have a decorated member of the U.S. military, kind of almost, uh, someone pointed out to me, he's the the anti-Ali North in this case, <laughs> you know, instead of uh, being part of the conspiracy, he is there, uh, you know, announcing that the, the, he was uncomfortable with this, that he went to the channels within the White House. He didn't go to the New York Times. He didn't go to the Washington Post. A soldier's soldier, a decorated Purple Heart veteran of, a, of the Iraq War. Um, and his testimony, though, the, the, the particularly uh, damning issue I think for the White House is that he highlighted uh, that there were significant discrepancies in his account of that conversation and the the transcript that the White House released. So within some of those ellipses and awkward punctuation that some people pointed out, uh, his recollection, and we're getting this from other civil servants who had access to the call, was that there was a lot more detail about the Biden specifically specific companies in Ukraine. Uh, it wasn't just, uh, I need you to do us a favor. There were a lot more specifics in the call, according to Colonel Vindemann's account. You know, Dan, when I hear you talk about uh, basically what a good guy Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Vindemann is, and you, you make a clear point that this guy uh, is not, has not been political. He has been a good and loyal and faithful soldier of this country's military. I'm sure that there are folks who are listening uh, who um, uh, think that you are now persecuting the president, uh, that you are just uh, climbing on his back, and that you're one of these anti-Trump guys. You've just been immediately mm -hmm. labeled. Um, how, do, how do you react to that? And do are you biased? Look, I would say that I do carry a personal bias as a long time, you know, the, the prototypical country club Republican, free trade, international engagement institutions. You I've consider yourself a Republican? I do consider myself a conservative. Okay. A conservative? Yes. Y you, you For a long time, I considered myself a Republican. I now consider myself a conservative. Because? I believe the Republican Party has moved away from conservatism and towards a sort of what I'd call Southern fried statism in some areas where there Southern is... Southern fried statism. 
It just made me hungry, actually. <laughs> but where there is now a, a, a sort of sense of why not uh, protect certain industries, why not uh, interfere with the marketplace, uh, you know, government is good when it's large, when it's a moral scold on the American populace, uh, things like that that I don't uh, identify with as uh, traditional conservative ideology. Okay, so uh, if you identify as a conservative, should I be able to interpret your support of Lieutenant Colonel Vindman uh, as, as being slanted in any way? In a sense of looking at Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, it is a sense of looking at the facts that he has presented and the mm -hmm. facts of the case. And combined right. with the other civil servants who have served multiple parties and in the job I do every day working with members of Congress from both parties. Yours uh, is a bipartisan think we tank. We are a bipartisan think tank. We are a bipartisan organization. If I had to say I have any bias or organizational bias, it's towards free markets and the belief that government and the private sector have to work together to solve problems, not at loggerheads. Yes. Uh, but beyond that, the- It sounds so reasonable. How do you stay in business? <laughs> Barely. Yeah. <laughs> The, the way you look at it, though, is that the facts are, are presenting a clear narrative of what has happened here. The, the case that we're having is one that I believe requires further examination by policymakers, and it requires our policymakers to be approaching this with an open mind. And the American voters should be doing so with an open mind. We are all jurors, in a sense, here in a case. And it's not a criminal case. It's a political case. Impeachment is, at its fundamental core, a political action. It is separate from the legal system, and we should understand it as such. But we have to follow these facts and understand exactly where uh, this is going to determine what exactly was the president doing in terms of this relationship with Ukraine and the potential uh, for uh, trying to solicit further interference in the upcoming election. I didn't. Uh, I, I, I didn't. I saw some of the excerpts, but I also saw a, a replay of the president this morning accounting for this transcript, and he was in President Trump uh, sort of style, saying uh, that we had professional uh, transcript writers uh, who wrote this transcript word for word. He even said comma for comma, the professionals who do this, who got everything exactly to the letter. And he made a very strong point and, uh, and, you know, wh uh, if you have a transcript, you don't have to say that because Correct. it's a transcript, right? I mean, a transcript is actually— And I invite anyone to, you know, take that what the White House released and Google any court recording, any uh, record, congressional record transcript and see the difference between that document and an actual— what does this mean for the president in this impeachment? What does this mean for the folks on Capitol Hill? I can't believe this is going anywhere. Uh, no matter, I mean, it's yeah. not. It's not going to go anywhere. We're no, going to no. have the. We're going to have now. We have the resolution to make uh, impeachment. You know, in air quotes here in the studio, official. Yeah. Uh, where that will be the the resolution that formally opens an impeachment inquiry, which Republicans have tried to use as a talking point to say that there's been. Uh, no due process, but again, the, the challenge is to remember that constitu the Constitution impeachment is a political act. Due, con due process is what the House decides and then what is laid out in the trial in the Senate. Over the weekend, we listened to news about the um, uh, uh, death 
uh, of uh, in killing of Baghdadi. Yes. Uh, that um, was a remarkable press conference for those uh, who did not see it on Sunday morning. Uh, I, m I made sure that I watched, got stopped what I my other uh, my other plans to make sure I could watch the president there. Uh, it was something I'd never seen before from a president in that level of detail, um, and his involvement in watching uh, that murder uh, killing uh, of that horrible uh, person, uh, enemy of the United States, uh, with whom we are engaged in certainly a war of, of types. Um, and uh, uh, that now lifted the president in the opinion polls, in the mm -hmm. public approval. His approval rating has gone up. He appeared strong mm -hmm. in doing that and effective in doing that. So we're seeing a president who just looks strong militarily. We're looking at a president who has 1.9% GDP growth, better than we thought in a weak quarter, better than we thought with a trade war going on. We have very low interest rates. This guy ought to be sliding into a second term effortlessly, and yes. it's not happening. Well, one thing you described, you know, we talked uh, in the economic numbers, you talk about how the consumer is, is pushing much of the economic story right, and that, right. you know, manufacturing, agriculture, those areas are weak. Yes. The irony of that is the, the consumer, you know, things, the suburbs, the cities, the area where the economy is doing best is actually where Trump is performing worst in terms of uh, the, the mentalities, the ideologies difference between the president and those areas where perhaps a more traditional Republican could be on a, on a glide slope to reelection with right. uh, looming House and Senate majorities for the GOP. I, I, I saw at the World Series uh, there was a note on Facebook when the president was booed and, and people were doing the lock him up thing. Someone uh, posted, you see, that's all of those people in D.C. That's all of those D.C. insiders. That's all of those welfare recipients. Those are all the people. Those are all those Democrats who just hate him. Well, I don't know the political makeup, but when I want to tell you what it cost to get in that stadium, there wasn't any welfare. <laughs> there might have been if there were welfare recipients in there, they were sweeping that stadium. Uh, you couldn't get a seat no. in there for under $1,000. I mean, that was a very wealthy crowd. Uh, and um, uh, that it looked like uh, from, if, if, if you're going to make snap, shallow judgments, which I am inclined to do, uh, I mean, that looked like a Republican crowd in there. Those, that, they were well-heeled, yeah. well-dressed folks uh, attending the World Series. I mean, well, that and that's not a NASCAR crowd. No, it, it's certainly Sorry not to NASCAR it's, folks. It's we not the traditional. Too. It's not his traditional crowd. Nor uh, do you think of just if the if you looked at Republican coalitions that have been successful in the past and where yeah. where where you swing towards people towards the GOP. It's affluent suburbs. It's uh, aspirational middle class, and. I'm going to be a little esoteric here, but I'm a, my advice to other Republicans and conservatives right now, we've got a great economy. We've got good economic uh, packages in place. We're rebuilding the military. Uh, you, you have to remember the, the old Italian novel, The Leopard. Yes. So it's very esoteric. But if you want things to stay the way they are, things are going to have to change. A lot. <laughs> no question about it. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting because I just heard myself say something uh, about the uh, World Series crowd versus the, Nash versus the NASCAR crowd. Um, 
we didn't used to think of the NASCAR crowd as being a Republican crowd, but they are now. That is uh, the president's support base, very much, uh, that NASCAR market as opposed to the World Series market. And the World Series, maybe we've, they've shifted to the liber limousine liberal side. Who knows? Um, as we, uh, it does look, uh, we're running out of time, of course, as we, we always do. So let's, let's just focus in on this impeachment thing. We don't think anything's going to happen with this impeachment thing, do we? Well, I don't think it's. I don't think we're going to see it uh, disappear. I think we're going to. Uh, it's going to fill the headlines, but nothing happens. It's not going to get through the Senate. They're not. I, look, I, I would still say sixty-seven votes in the yeah, Senate. Yeah, I still say it's hard to get to that sixty-seven votes for removal from office. But he's going to go into twenty twenty as a president who was impeached by the House. You know, next week I want to talk about the various tax proposals from the Democratic side, from the various Democratic candidates. Uh, out there looking to be nominated uh, to run against President Trump. Uh, every one of them is looking for higher taxes in all sorts of different forms. Let's, let's talk about those tax packages. And finally, uh, Brexit looks like it's making a l some progress. There's gonna be an, uh, there is going to be a vote in December. Yeah, so fi we finally have figured out the, uh, you know, the, as we've discussed, the British Parliament, when they lost the ability to call an election, that really gummed up the works. Well, we've, someone's finally brought the Drano and we can have a general election on the 12th of December. And I think it's going to be a knockdown, drag out debate over uh, not only Brexit, but what is the future of the United Kingdom? The future of the United Kingdom and Brexit and Europe and the economic growth overseas are all things we're going to continue to cover on the forecast. Um, thank you so much for being with us. We are going to have a special forecast update after. Uh, the Federal Reserve's announcement later this afternoon. So we got a two-part week for you. Thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. Will you please share us on social media? We're continuing to look to expand our listener base. And thank you for the notes uh, that we get. Harry Jennings, our producer, sends me all of these things. Uh, H. Jennings at farmiller.com, our producer, is terrific. Uh, and and, and uh, I love to, see, love to see the notes, and we want to make sure we ha handle your questions as well. In Washington, D.C., for the Farcast, I'm Michael Farr. We'll see you soon, actually, probably tomorrow. Be good. We'll be back. Thank you for listening to this week's Farcast. We come to you every week with experts and insiders to help you gain a deeper understanding of the forces that impact the economy and the investing landscape. We certainly hope that you enjoy the show as much as we enjoy making it for you. Please subscribe and share with a friend. The Farcast is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. The Farcast is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at farcast at farmiller.com or you can email me directly at hjennings at farmiller.com. Let us know what you like, what questions you have, and what topics you'd like to hear in coming weeks. We'd like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell. And before you make any investment decision, we strongly recommend you consult with a financial professional to determine what may be best for your individual needs and your goals. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to us at invest at farmmiller.com. One of our investment professionals would be more than happy to help. We'll be back with you next week, and we'll be with you tomorrow with a special post-fed reaction podcast. Go beyond the headlines every week with the Farcast. 
Wall Street, Washington, and the world. <laughs>